everybody. Welcome back to the Overrun Podcast. My name is Ed Bowder. Today, I have a very special interview with Michael Greco. He's the vice president of the local 2507 of the Fire Department of New York. Um, recently, his story has become fairly popular on social media. Uh, there was some brushback from the mayor of New York City talking about how EMS is different. And this became very popular talking about how the work is actually different. Um, but the mayor was discussing it in pertain as it pertained to finance and to compensation for EMTs and medics. Um, really important topic, really important conversation. So stick around and we'll talk to you after the interview. All right. On the line with me today, I have Michael Greco. He's the vice president of the FDNY Local 2507. Um, Mike, thanks for joining me today. I appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me. So just to get right into it, um, you guys have been working without a contract at the FDNY, uh, the EMS side, since July of 2018. Is that right? That is correct. Okay. And on January 17th, um, the mayor of the city of New York, Bill de Blasio, um, was talking about budgets for the fire department, for the police, and for EMS. And he put out a quote that's become a, a fairly popular hashtag now on social media for the work is different, um, essentially to justify a pay disparity between EMS, uh, fire, and police. So the first thing I want to get is just kind of your response to that in general. Uh, in general, the response is pretty simple. It was an insulting quote. Um, the way politics work, I'm sure he's going to come out and justify it. Well, I didn't mean that. He did preface it with the work is important. But when the question is specifically asked, what justifies a $40,000 difference between emergency workers? And you follow up with an answer of, well, the EMS work is different. It puts a negative connotation on it that not only FDNY EMS has felt, but it's starting to be felt throughout the country in the entire EMS profession. Right, absolutely. And something that I think a lot of, uh, a lot of bargaining bodies and negotiating bodies have talked about is that there's not really a parity uh, among service lines. So is that something that you guys have found that you experience in New York as well? Definitely. Um, we've uh, preached parity um, for years, and people think parity signifies same work, and it doesn't. It's just equal treatment. That's all we're asking for. As first responders, yourself, a paramedic, I'm aware as well, right. you understand that you're working alongside with other agencies. We are not cops. We are not firemen. We're not sanitation. We're not correction. None of those jobs are the same, but the parity in them is there. EMS works alongside shoulder to shoulder with each one of those services. 911 gets called, whether it's a police call, if you want to call it, or a fire call. EMS always shows up. We are first line responders. We are first line answers to 911. And to be honest, we answer prayers of people in their worst times. So to be told that our work is different as a way to justify why, why we should be lesser is the issue at hand. So just to back up a little bit, just for the listeners, clarify how the FDNY EMS system works. Um, I, I know it's a municipal system, but talk about how it's paired into the fire department and how it actually works as it pertains to the city and budgeting. All right, we'll give a little brief history. In 96, uh, New York City EMS was merged with the FDNY. So it created a branch of FDNY called FDNY EMS. So we are not an integrated service as some places throughout the country are. We do not cross train EMS with fire. So the career ladders, the education, the training is all separate. So when a 911 call comes in, 
and it turns out it's a medical call, we'll use something like a cardiac arrest because it's the most severe. Paramedic, EMT, a lieutenant to supervise, as well as fire engines will be dispatched to the scene to take care of that call. And as most cardiac arrest PD is there also. So you have three agencies showing up all with three different 911 systems and dispatched to respond to the same call. So that's the paradigm. We do not, we, we do not work in a firehouse per se. Um, so we actually only have two stations. That is a dual firehouse EMS station, but even the station is separated where the whole command structure, um, half of the house is set up to one side, the other half is set up for EMS. So it's just a completely separated service as far as resources, budgeting, um, the way it's staffed. So FDNY EMS and FDNY suppression, as we like to call it, are two completely separate entities in staffing, budget, and everything else. Right. So I do want to talk about perception a little bit because we know that, you know, New York City is a large city, so it's perceived or shown in the media a lot. Um, I think one of the things that comes out a lot is, you know, everyone on the fire department is a paramedic, everyone on the fire department is an EMT, and I don't necessarily know that that's true. Um, and as you just said, they're two entirely uh, kind of unique and separate services. So just to start before we get into the, the, the politics and the financing of this, what do you think that we can do to improve this perception big picture? Public awareness um, is the biggest thing we can do. Um, in the days and now that we have social media, getting our name out there and the differences of what we do compared to a fire service, compared to PD service, is probably the grassroots campaign. We have a fundamental problem when it comes to getting our name out there because one, as you know, we're covered under HIPAA laws, which protects patient privacy. Right, of course. So on a really bad incident, we can't come out in the public, let's say a shooting. Oh, the, the, yeah, we shot three times. We treated it with an occlusive dressing. Uh, the patient coded. We gave fluids. We gave blood transfusions. And we can't go out in the public and say that because we've just violated the treatment of that patient. The second perception is we are not in the public eye as far as news coverage. When an incident happens, we show up, 20 minutes on scene is a long time, and we're off scene and back at the hospital. So if this is a major incident of the pressure cooker bombing in Manhattan, um, any sort of major response, the people, or the public I should say, what they see is the firefighters around because they do extended operations. They see the police department protecting the scene, doing their investigation. But EMS is never on scene unless we're doing a standby waiting in case something else happens. So we are always an afterthought. We're always an ending line in a newspaper article, EMS transport. And that sentence, while it's an important sentence, does not signify the training, the level of care, the years of medical knowledge, the protocols that were put in place to stabilize and prevent somebody from dying while that transport is going on. Right. And it's kind of easy to quantify what police and fire do. Like police go and they stop the bad guys, firefighters put out the fires, and then EMS does other stuff, right? Yeah. 
it's, it's, it's almost like EMS is forgotten about because, I mean, this is a personal opinion, but it makes people think mortality. So you don't need an, it's always the other guy. You're never, never going to be in that situation. It reminds people of death. It reminds people of bad instances. Um, even of uh, the firefighter mentality of brave, strong, saving people. It's all true. And they even get the, you know, the saving the kitten from a tree. So they're well-respected throughout the 150-year history of the job that they do, which is a vital role. Um, and I want to get out to the listeners or anybody else that this is not a knock on any of the services. Um, a, being a firefighter is a noble profession. It's necessary in, in all municipalities. A police service in any municipality is an, is an essential service. But EMS, we are a second thought. Everybody knows the, the tagline, it's the red-headed stepchild. Um, we're always the afterthought when it's budgeting, when it's anything that involves supporting EMS. It's in the eye of, oh, yeah, we forgot about them. Yeah, they should be there, too. Right. So let, let's start getting into the, the kind of the politics and the budgeting of this. At a government level, do you think the problem as far as financing and pertaining to what uh, Mayor de Blasio said, do you think that's more a perception issue or is it more ignorance that they're not really sure what EMS does or how they should be recognized? Or where do you, what do you think the central uh, component of that is? The ignorance, even though the term ignorance does in and of itself have a negative connotation, but there is an ignorance. We have met with multiple city council members and we have some great support from a lot of city council members. But when we have those meetings and we're explaining what it is we do and what we get paid, and they're shocked. They, it's almost like they don't realize that even in the political world that an EMT, a paramedic, a fire inspector, are not paid on the level of the patch that's on the arm. Um, they just believe, well, you're in the fire department. Why aren't you making fire? Aren't you paid like a firefighter? So there is a, um, a bewilderment when we speak to them that they don't understand. And it's frustrating to see everybody. We explain how EMS is paid and how it's set up. They're flabbergasted, but there's not enough movement to help change it. It's almost like saying, oh, well, we, we understand now, we, we will get on it, but there's not enough movement in the de Blasio administration, in any mayoral administration, to get this funded to the point where it should be. And my biggest frustration is with the turnover rate. So a, a politician doesn't understand the level of training a paramedic or an EMT goes through. They don't understand the value of field experience. You know, the medical world, the more you do, the better you are. You come out of a paramedic class and you are a capable paramedic, but your assessment, your patient assessment takes a little longer. Um, understanding the signs and symptoms that you're seeing to form a diagnosis, to form a treatment is not something you get right. It's, it comes with years of experience and that. 10 minute assessment can be brought down to five or six minutes with quick recognition. And we lose that by not getting supported the way we are because we have a high turnover rate. And it's not just FDNY EMS, it's the EMS role 
throughout the country. People don't stay too long because they're not paid as well as they should be. Right, absolutely. And that's something that we've talked about on, uh, on past episodes. The average turnover rate uh, for a medic in the United States is about five years. Um, but I'm, I'm interested in what you're talking about with past administrations. Is this, I feel like the impression that's gone out, um, especially on social media, is that this is a, a newer problem. Is this something that's gone on through past administrations as well? And if so, for how long? Well, it's definitely gone on through past administrations. Um, I can, with this hashtag that's been coming out, uh, there's been floating around an article that uh, was put out, I believe, 31 years ago. And that was, I think the headline was um, EMS Talks Walkout after Mayor Koch remark. So... EMS <laughs> did have a walkout, right? That's 31 years ago. So they with the union at that time was talking about an illegal job action. Um, they actually did walk out. People got fired um, and they were asking for the same thing. Parody. If I remember correctly, um, I don't want to quote per se, but I, Mayor, Mayor Koch was outright said that they do not deserve the money. Um, so to hear a mayor say that, 31 years ago that EMS is different as well without saying those words. And now here we are 31 years later having the same fight, watching um, the pay structure between other first responders, not only stay bad, but get substantially worse in the gap. New York city does a, when they do their contracts, it's pattern bargaining. So if the last contract Firefighters got 10% about, uh, PD got 10%, the teachers got 10%, and so did EMS. We got a 10% raise over the course of four years. But when you give 10% to a guy who's making $50,000, and you give 10% to a guy who's making $100,000, you just gave a $10,000 raise to one side and a $5,000 raise to the, to the other side. So not only didn't you close the gap, but over the terms of contracts, it's got exponentially worse. Um, I believe the starting salaries um, was, a, I think I'm not starting salary, but I believe there was an $11,000 gap between the salary of the EMS and the salary of the firefighter 31 years ago. I believe it was $22,000 for EMS. And I'm, when I say EMS for this, I'm saying EMTs. Right. And I believe it was a $33,000 salary of a city firefighter. So that was 31 years ago. Now the top pay EMT is making 50000 and eighty six thousand for a firefighter. Now, is that so for gone from do, an eleven? Do, do the EMTs and firefighters work the same amount of hours per year, or how is that split up? There, there is a difference in hours. Um, I, I can give pretty good uh, specifics on the EMS contract, um, and I can give approximates on the UFA contract. We're contracted EMS at nineteen hundred and fifty seven hours and a half per year. I believe with their schedule, I believe they're in around the 2,200 hours a year range. So they are making more for working more hours. But when you break it down to, let's not look at the hours, let's look at the hourly rate. A EMT top pay of 50,000 under that 1957 calculation is making a touch under $26 an hour. A firefighter at that same calculation for 2,200 hours 
and their top salary is making about $38 an hour. So if you kept the hours the same and paid the EMTs at, let's say, a $38,000 rate, they would not hit 86000 a year. They would hit 80000 75000 And then when we equalize the hours with it overtime, because that's a question we'll, we'll get to in a bit, but when we equalize the hours with overtime, now we work the same hours, we make the same money. I'm not asking to be paid at 1957, so you have to give us $42 an hour because we don't want to work more. As a matter of fact, there is no EMT or paramedic in FDNY who works the contracted hours. Our overtime rate is through the roof. They've removed the cap on overtime. So our members are overworked, understaffed, underappreciated. And I know those three phrases is a national trend. It's not just a New York City trend. Oh, absolutely. And there's people everywhere who are working at multiple projects. So let, let's unpack that overtime thing, because that's that's actually the first that I had heard it. Um, has the, the city has put your caps on overtime rates so people can't work extra shifts? Is that kind of what's happening? Well, that is the norm. Okay. Um, in most uh, New York City civil servant areas, there, there is a cap on overtime. Before our last contract, we were capped out. You can only work 35% above your scheduled hours. And then through con- the last contract, we got that up to 40,000. I'm sorry, 40%. So, okay, now we can, and people were clamoring for it because we want to make more money over time. It's the only way we can pay our bills. It's the only way you can pay a mortgage or rent. Um, Absolutely, right. On 50,000, you need to work the most overtime you can. So... When FDNY fire suppression promoted, and I use the term promotion loosely because it's more of a lateral transfer, when they promote 900 EMTs or paramedics to the rank of firefighter, they get that salary increase, which is why it's a promotion, but you've now just depleted my service by about a quarter. So we don't have the people, so the overtime rate needs to go up. So with the paramedics, it got so bad that they removed, they temporarily suspended the cap on overtime. Paramedics since late uh, 2000, I'm sorry, middle 2018 were not subject to a cap anymore because they were so short-staffed that those who were capped and willing to work the overtime couldn't. So they said, you know what? It's so bad. You guys can work as much as you want. Then in December of this year, right when they promoted the, the last class of about 300 EMTs and paramedics to fire, they removed the overcap on the EMTs as well for a 90-day stint. So the overtime rate, while most jobs clamor for it, and when it comes available, they jump and there's a fight to do the overtime, we are worked to the bone. We don't have, we have to do overtime because if you do not, you'll get forced to stay anyway. We have, it's, the term is called mandation, where you do an eight-hour tour, and then you're ordered to work another eight hours. So you've been mandated. Right. So if you want to avoid that mandation, the fire department has a program called the Known Vacancy Program, which means you sign up for three overtime shifts a month, and then you are not in that mandation category. So it's basically saying, if you promise me three shifts of overtime, I won't force you to do more. 
So we have a tremendous overtime problem, which is funny to say in any job that, oh, there's too much. Oh, right. You guys are worth <laughs> There's too many extra to shifts. The point of exhaustion. <laughs> and then let's not even get into having a, an exhausted crew show up to a job. Right. Absolutely. Because we, we'll go back to perception for a second. People think firefighter sitting in a house, sitting in a station. In FDMY EMS, we are sat on corners. We are not allowed to sit on a station except for very select few units who happen their primary area response is in their station area. So you sit on corners on an uncomfortable ambulance for 16 hours multiple times a week and you have a 4-4 carry down. As you can see, New York City is a very vertical city. Right. Um, the public doesn't understand that term transport that I alluded to earlier. How do you get somebody from a sixth floor to an ambulance who broke a leg? One step um, at a time. <laughs> you have to carry them. Right, you have to, you have to carry them. So now you're carrying patients up, you're wheeling them around, you're going up and down flights of stairs, you're carrying 100 pounds of equipment because your AD, your monitor, your drug bag, your oxygen bag, your stair chair, and you're doing that multiple times a day. Then, that and, guy is also working 16 hours a day. Right. And so just to add to that, because I'm, I'm running the numbers in my head now, I've, I've never lived in New York City, but I have spent uh, my fair share of time there being out of New York. And it seems to me that $50,000 a year living anywhere in New York is very difficult. Ballpark it for me. How many of your staff are working second jobs or is that something they're allowed to do? They are allowed to work second jobs. The only um, area of conflict of interest is if you are going to work a 911 job. It cannot be too close to your primary area of response. So sure. if you're working in Queens, you can work a 911 system in Manhattan, let's say. So okay. the second job on 50,000, if, if that is your only source of income, I will put 100% on that number that if that is your sole income, you don't have a spouse, you don't have, in order to pay rents, in order to buy gas, you, you must work the overtime. We actually have members, and this is going on today, who are homeless, who are living out of their cars, and they're too ashamed to come forward. And it's when the union or somebody notices we get involved. Um, it is that bad. Because not only $50,000 you know, to somebody maybe in rural America who the cost of living is, so, is, is, is a lot less, that might be significant. But when your average rent is $2,500 a month, the 30% tax bracket that you're in. And not to mention, our guys put 12% of their salary into the pension system. You're now taking that $50,000 and you're living on about 20. Right. And in New York City, that's it not, is, that's it not tenable. Possible. <laughs> yeah. That's... It's not, but people, people have to move out. Um, there's no requirement to live in New York City to work in New York City EMS. There, it's not a requirement. Um, they actually have what's called an 1127. It's a waiver that they don't tax you, but the equivalent of the city tax, you have to pay as a fee for the privilege of working in New York City. And not only does that 1127 privilege fee work on your EMS salary, but it's written into the law that no matter what income you make, 
New York City is entitled to their 1127. So if I have another job on the outside working in, let's say, Suffolk County or Nassau County or Orange County or Jersey, and I make 100000 on my side job, I owe New York City my 1127 for the privilege of working EMS or of being a New York City employee. And that's not even talking about cross-state taxes that are involved, too. Yeah. Yeah. It's truly taxation without representation. So let's, so now we've talked about the exhaustion of the crews. We talked about the, the monetary situation. So let's talk about volume because the next question is going to be, well, we know that firefighters answer fires, policemen answer uh, 911 calls, and ambulances, EMTs, paramedics, they go to EMS calls. So we talked about the disparity in, in costs. So I think the next question, aside from you know the amount of hours worked, would be how many responses do you do? So talk to me about the disparity between uh, fire responses, suppression responses, and EMS responses. All right. Um, EMS responded in New York City to w- about 1.7 million calls for last year. Uh, I, believe, and I think these statistics that I'm giving are 2017 numbers. So when I say last year, that's the year I'm talking about. And, and just, just to be clear to the listeners, um, that's, that's over 3,000 responses daily. What, yeah, well yeah. over. Um, our, our average response is probably goes around 4,000, um, 3,500 to 4,500, depending on the day. Um, so, yeah. And we have about, if I'm not mistaken, 400 ambulances on the road at any given tour. So, you know, you can do that sort of math. Yeah. Okay. So the statistical numbers from 2017, the... Uh, FDNY suppression call numbers were 587,000. The structural fires were 26,000. Non-structural fires, 15,000 or 16,000. Now you get into the non-fire emergencies, which is broken up for about 240,000 of that 580,000 are just categorized as non-fire emergencies. So that would be... um, MBAs, cutting, uh, getting somebody out of an elevator, things of that nature. Right. And then dedicated medical emergencies, 284,000. So the firefighters are responding to 284,000 of their 587,000 is our medical calls. I, I'm sorry. I, laughter is not the is not the best response, but I, the numbers that you're giving me are staggering. So I'm trying to figure out how to compartmentalize it in my head, um, because those numbers are are amazing to me. Um, I do imagine one advantage that the fire department has is they're probably closer to cardiac arrests and things like that than EMS. Does that pan out? Is that is that pretty much true? They, they are. Okay. They are actually in most medical emergencies. If you start burying through the numbers, the fire department fire engines, firefighters, they have a better response time to these emergencies than EMS does because of a couple of reasons. One, there's way more of them. There's over 200 firehouses throughout New York City. There's only 30 EMS stations. So that is one issue. The second issue is they don't ever respond out of their primary area of response. So if an engine gets a cardiac arrest, it is within the confines of their battalion. So they're never, unless they're a major fire going on and they had to move, they're not responding to EMS runs that are significant distances away, as opposed to a paramedic or an EMT where 
I'm trying to give a good distance that the listeners would understand. Um, so if you're on the south tip of Manhattan and a job comes over and there's no available units all the way up to midtown Manhattan, you are going. And that could be 4 o'clock in the afternoon on a Friday, rush hour traffic, showing a response time of 20 minutes. We don't have the resources available to properly staff. And if you just look with those numbers I gave you, 1.7 million calls to 500,000 calls, the, the, the city lists uniformed fire personnel at 11,000 members. Now, that's including captains, lieutenants, chiefs. EMS, they put down 4,400 personnel. That's including EMTs, paramedics, lieutenants, captains, chiefs. So we're doing double the work, triple the work. Yeah, three times work with the half the staff. Personnel. Yeah. We so, show up without supervision. So yeah, just, so it's I, just I, you and your partner. So I'm, I'm listening to all this, and, I, and and again, we we had spoken earlier, and this is still all just very reeling for me to hear this. Um, so you're understaffed, overworked, uh, generally underpaid, um, with a diminishing, uh, I guess, diminishing staff and prospects for new people, um, I guess, kind of dwindling. Um, so what I guess, what's the general outlook that you guys would have as far as fixing this entire situation is concerned? Is it do you think the solution lies in budgetary concerns or do you think it's recruitment or how, how do you start to, I guess, stop the bleeding here? The bleeding stops when you turn the service into a career. If we had the ability to pay our paramedics, our EMTs, the same level as other first responders, when that promotion and I know on a radio you can't see air quotes, but <laughs> when that promotion comes in, you give the lifelong EMS a shot to choose his career. We have lost a tremendous amount of talented medical professionals for the sole purpose of salary, where if you have a family, you have kids, and you're, you're an EMT or a paramedic, and you see the ability to make that sort of money and that sort of work schedule, you have no choice but to take care of your family and, and leave. And they're not just leaving for fire. They're leaving for PD. They're leaving for corrections. They're leaving for sanitation. I mean, sanitation is considered a uniform service as well. And my old line is, I don't want to take away from any service. And sanitation, they protect us against the plague. They, you know, you have a blizzard and let that garbage pile up for two weeks and the smell, the, the, the unsanitary conditions. I, w I would never diminish another service's job or the nobility of their work. That is something I would never do. Right. But if you're asking me that question on how to make EMS that career ladder, it starts with pay because then recruitment can follow. And yeah, that's, I think that you're right. I think that has to be the first thing. Cause you have to bring people in with the offer of salary. You know, it's, it's that old saying, and you're from New York. So I know you understand this, the whole money, money, uh, money talks and bullshit walks, right? Um, there you go. I don't know how much we were allowed to curse on this podcast. Oh, that's fine. I have, I have, we have an explicit tag. I'm from Jersey. You're from New York. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's all right. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you equalize the salary, one thing you very rarely hear is, people throughout the country uprooting their lives to come over to New York to be a paramedic. 
Um, as a matter of fact, it's the other way around. I know there are services throughout the country that are very well trained, very well supported, and people have left uprooted New York and gone to them. I think of Seattle, I think of Baltimore, as, uh, Boston, as some of the few that people have actually gotten up and go for. Right. But I've heard stories numerous times over, people all over the country flying in multiple times to take the firefighter exam, to go through the interview process. And then if they do manage to get uh, that coveted job, they will uproot their family and move to New York. If New York made EMS the premier EMS service in the world that it claims it is, instead of having 40,000 on the fire entrance exam waiting to get in, we should have 40,000 people on the paramedic EMT entrance to get in. That is how you change a culture. That is how you change a profession. And as New York City goes, a lot of the country follows. Absolutely. It would raise rising tides, raise all ships. It would raise the salaries of EMS personnel throughout the country, which should be done because I know there might be listeners if they start to move out of the tri-state area who are probably hearing my numbers and listening saying, oh, these guys have it. And I, I wish I made $26 an hour top pay. I work for a small transport company in rural America and I started at $9 an hour. So you called somebody to protect your family member's life and continue it and they're getting paid at welfare rates. This is a profession. This is the training. I mean, I'm starting to really get a little emotional as far as anger. But the amount of training, the amount of work, the amount of continuing medical education that goes into the job we do does not translate to the money we make. No, absolutely. And as, as an industry, knowing our worth, I think, is something that we're, we're kind of bad at. That's part of the reason I wanted to talk to you about this today. So just before we wrap it up, one last thing, because I know that this negotiation, this, this talk has kind of gained a lot of um, – a lot of viewership kind of in the public eye. And there, I know there's onion, other union shops that are kind of working to negotiate contracts. And I think um, you guys are kind of at the forefront of that. So if you had to talk to someone who's heading another organization and they had to improve their negotiating techniques, what's one thing you would give them that you've learned from this whole process? Stay the course. Don't listen to the politicians who are making your decisions and are uninformed. Um, inform them, get them on board. Uh, any war that's fought is just not going in rabble rousing. You're, you have to plan your attack. You have to plan your information. You have to get allies on your side. I mean, I will be, we seek out allies in the UFA. We seek allies in sanitation, in the PBA. Those are the allies that we're looking for. So when it's time for your fight, you're not going in there unarmed. I, I think that's great. I think that's kind of a great place to leave it. Michael Greco, the vice president of FDNY, local 2507. Um, please keep fighting for this. Um, I, I'm excited to see where you guys go and how uh, you guys can change the culture of VMS in the country. I look forward to it. Thank you very much for having me on it. 
That was Michael Greco from the FDNY Local 2507. This is an issue that has been ongoing in a lot of different EMS agencies, whether it's the fight for fair wages or it's the fight for recognition in our municipality. Um, And it certainly is not isolated to the city of New York. It's something that uh, I have experienced personally um, in my old response area. It's something we've all experienced at some point. I think it's a very important lesson to take away. We have to keep fighting for our profession. We have to keep fighting for our industry. And we need to find parity. We need to find equality between us and the other uh, service lines, especially in pre-hospital care. So thank you again for Michael Greco for joining us. For The Overrun, my name is Ed Bowder. Make sure that you follow us on uh, the social medias, Facebook and Instagram at Overrun Productions. Overrun EMS on Twitter. We also have merchandise you can find at our website, overrunproductions.com. And uh, make sure you subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, uh, and everywhere else that you can get your podcasts. Again, this is a super important issue. I'm excited to hear what you guys have to think about it or have to say about it. Um, reach out on social media, reach out on the website, let us know what you think. We will be tracking this story, so I'm sure we'll have more information uh, from there. So once again, for The Overrun, my name is Ed Bowder. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.